Thank you, Pastor John. Yes, he's in Mexico. Good morning, everyone. All right, man. Wow, praise God. I, I don't know about you, but that worship, I, whew, I don't, I don't know. I was standing in the corner and I was just like, man, I was just so lost in the presence of God. So can we just say thank you to our worship team one more time? Just, I mean, they practice so hard. And even the, the production team in the behind the scene, a lot of us, we forget PowerPoint. That's crucial for us. If the PowerPoint, the lyrics are off, then in a way we're lost, unless we know the song in heart. And so we just want to say thank you for all the volunteers this morning. So I'm HK. I'm one of the pastors here, here at Christ Church. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous, not because it's my provisional um, sermon, but it's been some time since I've been here. Um, I've been helping out with our youth service upstairs the uh, past couple of months. And so I've been a little bit MIA here in, in the worship center. Um, Pastor Todd is sharing the gospel this morning upstairs, so let's keep them in our prayers as well. I mean, I miss our beloved students already, as I have missed you all today. Now, we're on our sermon series, you know, Six Decision That Will Change Your Life Today, and we're on number five, number five. And today's message is all about perseverance. It's all about perseverance in our faith journey. Now, I just want to encourage all of us is that you know, when, with, with this entire sermon series, the six decisions, the major six decisions that we make in our life is not so that we can benefit from it. That's something that I just wants to, I want to remind all of us that we don't make the six major decisions in life so that we can feel great about ourselves, so that we can be a good human being per se. It's actually, we're doing it, we, we want to make these six decisions so that we can honor God. That's all about Jesus. Somehow God can continue to transform us, not to be a good person, but to be alive in Christ, to be the disciples of Christ that he has called us to be. And so I just want us to remember, and I really believe that perseverance is something that we have to remember daily in our faith journey. Because why? It's tough. Life is tough. For those of you that are joining us online, I'm sure you can agree that as well that life is tough, that especially all of us, every single one of us, we have experienced some kind of trials, some kind of major obstacles in all of our lives, whether it's in our personal, whether it's our family members or friends, whoever and wherever, we all gone through some kind of major changes because of this ongoing pandemic. Well, today's message, again, is all, we're going to just go over the first Samuel chapter 2. And the text is actually, is, is actually all about Hannah. Hannah, who was the prophet Samuel's mother. Prophet Samuel, he was the last judge before the Israelites asked for the earthly king, who was Saul. So before Saul came into the picture, Samuel, he was the last prophet and so we're just going to talk about his mom, not Samuel, but his mom, because she exemplified this tremendous perseverance in her faith. She exemplified what it means to really persevere during her hardship. And her perseverance was deeply, deeply rooted in the word and God's faithfulness. But in order for us to navigate today's scripture, which is 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to have to 
go over chapter 1 real quick. And I'm just going to summarize it. So if you have your Bible with you, I mean, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I mean, chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're just going to briefly summarize it because we have to know some of the context. Now, Hannah, she, one, one of the things that um, some of you that are new to the story is that she wasn't able to have a kid. That's like one of her major themes in her life. She was barren. I mean, she tried, but she just couldn't conceive for some reason. And during the biblical times, especially during the biblical times, this was a big deal for a woman not being able to um, have, a, have a child. It was a huge, huge deal. In fact, it was probably one of the biggest shame that a woman can ever have to um, deal with because during the time, family lineage, that was a big thing as well. So in order to carry down the family's name, you know, you need to have a kid, but especially you need a son to carry the name. And so there's that tradition going on. But she just couldn't, couldn't be impregnated for some reason. And so her husband decided to, in a way, it, it was a tradition at the time where if your initial first wife was unable to conceive, then in a way, there was a, an option for you to have a second partner, wife, and then hopefully start a, family, family, uh, start a lineage right there. Hopefully to continue down the lineage in that way. And so that's exactly what happened. Hannah's husband found a, a different woman and then a second wife. Her name was Penina, and she was able to give birth. Now, here's the thing. Here's a little bit of a um, youngsters, they call it this T moment. T moment is when this, when things get a little bit like, you know, gossipy and like, ooh, a drama moment. Penina, for some reason, was very, very boastful about her pregnancy. So in chapter 1, it actually says that she would shame Hannah very actively. She would just be like, ha-ha, I got a kid or I'm about to get a kid and look at you. Some of us will be like, oh, I mean, it is what it is. But again, during the biblical times, this was a big deal. It was a huge, huge deal that if another woman comes at you, be like, yo, what's going on with your stomach kind of thing. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it, it was a, a huge shameful thing. And so Hannah, in chapter 1, actually says that Hannah had to go through this year after year. It wasn't a weekly thing. It wasn't a monthly thing. It was a year after year. That's a long time. That's a long time that she had to endure. Now, in chapter 1, it kind of skips a little bit where, you know, she's dealing with all this stuff, and then what happens? She, the family decided to go to the temple. They travel a little bit from where their hometown, and they ended up going to the temple. And long story short, she ended up going to the temple, and she prayed. And when she prayed, I mean, she prayed. It wasn't one of those, dear God, please um, help me to get a kid. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It wasn't that. I mean, she wept. She cried out. She had a genuine, genuine, honest time with the Lord. I mean, verse 10, verses 10 to 11, chapter 1, verses 10 to 11 says this. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery, 
and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. This was her prayer to God when she went to the temple. After being miserable, ashamed for years, she went to God saying, hey, God, if you just give me a son, I promise I'm not going to keep him, but I'm going to dedicate him to you. Isn't that ironic? I almost remember this. Because a lot of times when we pray and, and we need something, we want to hold on to that, right, for our own sake. We don't want to really dedicate Per se, but I mean, this right here, this, this beloved woman of God, she said, I just want to bear this son and I'm going to dedicate to you. Remember this. And so she kept on praying, and the Eli, the priest, who was a priest at the time, saw her. This is all in chapter one. And he was a little bit confused. Why? Because from his perspective, when Hannah was praying, you know, she was just pouring out her heart, her everything that she had, and, but she wasn't really verbalizing her prayer. So the scripture says that she was moving her mouth, she was moving her mouth, but there was no words coming out. And so from Eli, the priest, for some reason, from his perspective, he thought she was drunk. And so he... This is kind of interesting thing that, that a priest just jumped to the conclusion like that. But he literally said, hey, stop drinking. <laughs> that's, that's simple as that. He said, why are, you, why are you drunk? Stop drinking. Like, that's not good. Like, stop drinking and stop acting foolish. But Hannah in verses 15 and 16, she pretty much um, explained saying, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord out of my great anguish and grief. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. And Eli honored her honesty and transparency, and he blessed her by saying, okay, I was wrong, so go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And scripture says that the moment Eli, the priest, blessed Hannah, and they went back home, Hannah's face was no longer downcast, and she was pregnant soon after. And she named her son Samuel. Any Sam, any Samuels in this room tonight, today? And you, or maybe those of you that are joining us, if your name is Sam or Samuel, or you know someone that is named Sam or Samuel, it actually means because I asked the Lord for him. That's the biblical meaning behind it. Because I asked the Lord for him. So if you know any Sams or Samuel, text them after service, be like, hey, your name is special. Your name is special. Now she, again, remember her prayer? She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'm not going to keep him. I'm going to, this is for you. This is your kid. And she later dedicated him, which she did. She actually fulfilled her promises. She didn't compromise, but she said, God, this is your kid. And so she ended up dedicating Samuel. When, and so when Samuel was a young boy, maybe like, I mean, I want to say like somewhere from five, less than ten for sure, less than ten. Can you imagine this? That she left him at a temple and then let Eli take care of Samuel. Whew, now that's faith right there. 
But one thing that I want us to remember in chapter 1 is, her, is Hannah's posture. Her earnest, just this genuine desperation for God to deliver. Every single one of us in this room, as I've shared earlier, we have gone through some major, major changes. And I'm sure whether it's you or, you or the people in your life, they have gone through some severe obstacle. And I'm sure they had their own way of navigating. They had their own way of um, coping the situation. But as people of God, I truly believe that we're called to respond in those situations like Hannah. And for Hannah, she was able to persevere not because Eli blessed her or anything or, or anything like that, or because she went to the temple and she cried out and stuff like that. Not really, but I really believe as I was studying this text, I truly believe the reason why Hannah was able to persevere is because during her trials, during her season of difficulties, she has never forsaken God's faithfulness. She has never forsaken the promises of God. That she kept her eyes on the Lord 24-7, day and night. So that's the context. And now, because of the response, because of the Lord deli delivered her from her misery, chapter 2 is all about her response to God. So it says this, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and in the Lord my horn is lifted high. Horn represented strength. In, in biblical context. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt, exalt the horn of his anointed. Whew, what a response. This was her response to the Lord. For God, for, for God to deliver her from her shame, from her, her like this horrendous season that she had to go through. This is her response. 
that even when she did not experience the immediate deliverance, she persevered. And I truly believe that's the key, one of the keys right there, that reason why she was able to give such a rich, God-centered, glorious response is that she did not compromise her faith. She did not compromise the, the, the deity, the divine identity of God. And she just kept on, kept on pursuing God. Now, this prayer is called the Magnificat. Magnificat. And the word, and, and this Magnificat is actually, it's, all, it's a prayer, praise, hymn that magnifies the Lord. And in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, she actually has her own Magnificat when um, she meets her cousin and then the two sons, John the Baptist, that was in Elizabeth, and then, you know, Jesus was in Mary's. I mean, they're hanging out. They're saying, hey, what's up from their respective mother's room? And, you know, they're just, there's this holy moment taking place, even though they're still in their mother's room for some, somehow. But by the grace of God, it happened. And so Mary, she had her own magnificent, a time where she just magnified the Lord when Christ was in her womb. Scholars believe that there's this deep correlation of Hannah and Mary's magnificence because, number one, both responded to the favor of the Lord being blessed upon them. Both Hannah and Mary, when they experienced God delivering them, they just couldn't help but to praise him. They couldn't just help but to say, Jesus, saying, Lord, you are good. You are faithful. Second thing is that both of their sons had a significant, significant role in human history. Samuel, the last judge, the last prophet, the last priest for the Israelites, he, his main goal was to make sure the Israelites, God's people, were not going off track. So he kept them accountable. He spoke some very um, direct, strong words, but that was his role. And Jesus, that many of us are familiar, he delivered all of us from our doom. And so both sons played a significant role. And theologian named D.A. Carson commented on Hannah's prayer, going back to chapter 2, verse 1. He said, Hannah is so joyous because the Lord delivered her and because she belongs to the Lord. This divine revelation of Hannah finding her identity and security in the presence of God like she experienced the identity and the security. I mean, there was just so much joy in that. There's so much hope that resonated from that. And in verse 2, it's all about Hannah's proclaiming God's incomparability. Incomparability. I mean, Hannah was just declaring what verse 2 says. There is no one, no one holy like the Lord. There is no one Beside you, there's no rock like our God. There's nobody. There's none can compare to you. Hannah was just declaring the monotheism that no other idols can ever, ever compete you, God. Now, here comes the little T moment. A little bit of a, uh-oh. In verse 3, it says what? Do not keep talking proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him, by him deeds are weighed. Many scholars believe that this first three right here it was for the second wife. 
Penina. That most likely Hannah, when she was declaring, magnifying the Lord, hey, she's a human being. She was a human being. She remembered all those, all those years where, when, when the second wife was not nice to her. And I'm sure, not out of arrogance, not out of pride, but I'm sure Hannah remembered and she said, there it is. I made it. And she remembered. And a lot of scholars have agreed that this first three was low-key directed to, to the wife. You know, as I, as I mentioned with you all, I mean, you know, the rest of the, the song, I mean, it just talks about, again, it just magnifies God's glory I and mean, who God is, you know. It's, it's such a powerful, powerful song, powerful, magnificent that Hannah wrote. And as I was studying, studying this text, I had to wonder, I had to ask, man, how, how did she, how did she not lose that fire for God? You know, as I stand here today with you all that, man, it's hard. Even as a pastor, it's hard to sometimes not lose that fire. I'm just going to be honest with you because I'm not perfect. PJ, Pastor Todd, Pastor Tony, they're not perfect either. I wonder how Hannah... Practically, let me say this, practically, practically kept her fire, her faith continuously grow and continues to just fan it. Like, I mean, practically, I was just like, man, if I was in her shoes, man, I would have flipped the house by now and maybe duped it out with her or something, with the second wife. I don't know. Like, or my earthly instinct comes in. Maybe many of you guys, those of you that laughed, I'm sure you guys can agree with me. That was your first primary instinct. That's why you laughed. That you would have just, hey, meet me out in the field. <laughs> you know, let's hash this out. But Hannah did not do that. I mean, scriptures doesn't say that she did. But she kept her eyes on the Lord. She just kept on going, saying, Lord, I'm just going to go to you. You are my solution. And my question today is, when was the last time you and I, we actually did that, where you and I, when we were faced with some trials, when was the last time, instead of reacting, instead of reacting with our nature, where we actually responded? Because why? Reaction is easy, easier, right? But response takes more discipline, takes more time, takes more intentionality. So when was the last time you and I, we actually responded? And that's hard. I want to empathize it very clearly. That's so hard. But by the grace of God, we're able to do it, and we're called to actually be a responders, that we're called to be responders, not to be reaction-driven people. John Wesley believe in the importance of private prayer in our faith journey. The intimate and transparent time with the Lord shapes and molds our Christian character that will ultimately 
draw, draw us near to God. John Wesley, who is the, I mean, when it comes to Methodist, boom, that's him, John Wesley. He truly believed that private prayer in our faith journey, that was key component for us to draw near to God. Key component, private prayer. And you don't have to ask, answer this, but answer in your heart. When was the last time you had a private prayer with the Lord? Do not nudge your spouses, nothing. Don't look at your kids. Just, you know, this is between you and God. All right? When was the last time you had a private prayer time with the Lord? When I say private, it's just you and God. Think about it really hard. You know, I want to share just um, my, I'm going to share a little bit of personal experience. Actually, it's my mom's testimony. Um, my mom, again, for those of you that, 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 that are unaware of this, um, I wasn't born here in the States. I came here uh, from Korea when I was nine, 2001. March, March 3rd, 2001, that's when I came to the States. Uh, landed in Nova, Dulles Airport, and Nova has been my home since 2001. Um, I was nine years old, very young. And my mom, she made this decision to raise her two young children. Uh, my sister is five years older than me, so she was a teen uh, when we came to the States. But my mom, she made a bold, bold move to, to move here to give us a new life because at the time, back home, um, it was a little bit messy, and so... She made a I mean, humongous move. For those of you, um, whether you're joining us online, I mean, if you know that experience, I mean, it, it's, it's a different ballgame that, yeah, it's, it's a different ballgame. Um, even I cannot really fully empathize the magnitude of that decision. But she made the call. And unfortunately, my, my father, um, biological father, did not come with us um, because of various reasons. And so parents are divorced. And so my mom, she was a single mom for years um, during our upbringing. And so my sister and I, we grew up without our parents being home. Because, yeah, my mom, she worked seven days a week um, for X amount of years. I mean, for the longest time. Seven days a week, eight to ten hours a day. Um, and maybe a few or some of you guys can relate. That, now, that's a, another different ballgame. <laughs> Seven days a week, she had no weekend. Um, she went, we grew up in Korean UMC of Greater Washington in McLean uh, by Tyson's Mall, and she would go to the first service, 8 a.m. on Sundays, and then she would go to work right after. Uh, she went to dawn prayer meeting, and then on Saturdays, and then she went to work right after. That was her faith journey in the early years, and she... During that time, she would just cry out to God. She would weep. She shared this with us as we got older. She shared how she wept bitterly in those time of life where she was a single mom because she genuinely had no idea how to raise two kids. 
in that season. You know, they didn't know how to really provide raise in a foreign country. Um, I just didn't know. I mean, she was just stuck. And so she would, she shared how she just wept almost every night, especially when she went to the prayer meetings or even church. I mean, like, like how Hannah did. With deep anguish, she would just go to God. And she said this to me, and I, and I hope that we can remember this because this applies to every single one of us as well. And as she went to God like that, and, and one particular season, she said, during a prayer meeting, she was just crying out to God, and God responded saying, as she was crying out saying, Lord, how am I going to raise my kids? Like, how am I going to do it? I have no idea I'm going to raise two kids on my own. And, she's, and God said, your kids are mine. Your kids are mine. I'm going to raise them. You don't have to worry. They're not just your kids, but they're my kids too. God said that to her. And since that time, this was, I think, when I was in high school, I think when she got this um, revelation from God. She shared that that changed the trajectory of how she went about this mountain that she was facing. That she never compromised that promise that she received from God. She never forgotten it. She never forsaken it. She constantly, constantly, constantly went back to and remembered that promise that God has given to us, to her. And when, my, when, when our family, we went on vacation this past July, we were talking about it on the way to um, Texas and stuff. And, and I said, man, look where we are now for my sister and I. My sister went on a little different faith journey. She had a little detour in her life. Uh, I mean, I don't blame her, honestly. I don't blame her. She had a little detour. Um, she had her uh, rebellious stage. Um, but she definitely had a prodigal story. She was a prodigal daughter, and now she's a God-fearing woman of God that loves the Lord. I mean, great mother of three. I mean, she's just going after God right now. And me, as I stand here, the fact that I'm here, it really testifies God's promise to my mom that I would not be here. I would not be here it wasn't for that promise. Perseverance takes place when we are able to hope in hopelessness. For Hannah, she, she somehow, somehow was able to hope during that season that she went through. My mother, somehow she was able to hope every night, every day for those years. You know, I love this word. I love how, you know, to hope. We are able to hope in the hopelessness. Because why? You and I, that means that we need to action. There's actions required. We need to act it out. We can't live out this to hope in hopelessness when you are just sitting around and doing nothing about our faith. In order for us to hope in hopelessness, you and I, we have to get up from our spiritual laziness, and we have to actually cultivate our faith. It's our responsibility to cultivate it. 
so that when hopelessness and lifeless, all kinds of shenanigans comes at you, that you and I were able to respond, not based on our own strength, but based on the word, through the promises of God, that we're able to respond. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, Jesus' body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Christ, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance not semi, not quarter, but full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice the day is capital D, when Christ comes back. That day is coming. It's coming. It's not a fairy tale where we're going to, no, it's coming. That day is coming. It's approaching. That you and I, we have this confidence, not because we're good Christians, not because we come here on Sundays and we take notes or we pay attention or we keep our phone silent or something. I don't know, you bring your spouse, you bring your kids. No, that doesn't make that. Honestly, those are all, gracefully, I'm going to say those are all garbage. Those are all secondaries. We cannot bank on those. That will never make us good, alive Christians. What makes us alive Christians is that you and I, we come and knowing that we, we're here to worship God. The holy God, the great I am. The living God. Let me say that the living God, we're here to worship the living God. That God is alive. And some of us are, feel like, it feels like God is so far from us. Guess what? Private prayer. That's the start. Private prayer. You want to draw near to God? Pray. You don't feel like God is listening? Have faith. Trusting and knowing that God is moving, even though your eyes cannot see even though your ears cannot hear, even though you may not feel the God with your hands or whatever, you're with your body, that God is with you. That God has never forsaken you. That in faith, we see God. Faith is believing and trusting something that, that we don't see. That's faith. If it's visible, that's not faith. It's invisible, living, divine, holy one that we believe.
the invisible. That we're not here to be good Christians, church. We're here to be alive. We're here to be alive Christians. There's a big difference between that. And I will end with this, where it's hard when we feel like crap. Excuse my language. I mean, it's hard, right? When you and I, we know we sinned, we, we did whatever X, Y, Z is in the past. When we're in a funk, like, it's hard to say, God, you're good. I'm just going to be honest here. It's hard. As I stand here, it's hard. I'm not perfect. I'm a broken man. That when we cuss out someone who cuts in when we drive or when we get pulled over, I mean, when, we, when our spouse shares their wisdom but we listen as nagging, I mean, it's hard. When our kids don't listen, our bank account is tough, it's so hard. And the beauty about the gospel is that Jesus made it very clear that it's going to be hard. <laughs> he never said it's going to be easy. He never said it was going to be easy. John 16, I mean, Jesus never said, when you, pick, when you come follow me, I got this. He did, but he said, You're gonna, it's going to be tough. You have to carry your cross. Carry that. You have to carry that and follow me. My fiance and I, we um, went to this amazing worship night, and this is my last point. Um, a few weeks ago, Maverick City worship. Have you guys heard Maverick City, anyone? Bless you. Nice. Go YouTube, go to Spotify, look for Maverick City. They're just anointed worship team, recent worship team, amazing, from Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, they're amazing. Maverick City. And they introduced this new song at, the, at this worship night in George Mason, and and the bridge went like this. Rain came, wind blew, my house was built on you. I'm safe with you, I'm gonna make it through. Can we sing that together? Rain came, wind blew, my house was built on you. I'm safe with you. I'm gonna make it through. I truly believe this is a message that you and I, we have to listen and remember that our house is built on the Lord, not on the sinking sand. So that when, rain, when the rain and the wind, when they come at us, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. So pray. Don't give up on praying. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It can be 30 seconds, one minute. God can glorify that and have a revival in your heart. Time does not affect God. It's the heart. It's the heart. Let's pray. So Jesus, we humbly come to you, Lord, just knowing that you are with us. God, it's, it's hard. Just flat out, Lord, it's hard to be Christians, it's hard to be your disciples, Lord. 
not just some days, but many days, God, because a lot of times, Lord, we don't feel you. We don't, it's hard to see you at times. When we need to tangibly experience you, God, it's, it's hard, Lord, and you know that it's hard. But the beauty and the power of the gospel is that, Lord, that even though it's hard, Lord, that you don't push us away. That you, don't, you never shame us, that you never mock us because we struggle. But, Lord, you're saying, come, my son, my daughter. Come to me with all your burdens, with all your burdens. Come to me, bring that to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So, God, the confidence that we have to approach you, God, is not by our strength. It's not by our accomplishments. It's, it's all based on Jesus Christ, what Christ has done for us on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. So, Lord, help us to bank all of our, everything in our lives in you, Jesus. Because it's all for you. It's all to you. And we pray that, Lord, that our worship, our lives, Man, it's all for you, God. Never about us. Never about our families or friends. But it's all about you and the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Just let me pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all rise and continue to worship God. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the street to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity.